0: You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello, and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. This is episode 27. My guest in today's show is Jeff Herman. Jeff has been in the marketing game for more than 20 years. So like the rest of us, he's watched the information revolution change the world we live in, and in particular, the way we market, sell, and buy. Jeff is passionate about helping organizations adjust and thrive in what he calls the age of content marketing. He gives us some great tips on building authentic relationships with customers. He helps us understand the difference between being a publisher, a creator of value, and being a desperate product pusher. We have a great chat about who should be creating content and what sort of content you should be creating. And this is not just an episode for entrepreneurs, people building their own businesses, selling their own products and services. Jeff has some great advice for those of you, and I know a lot of our listeners are in this position, who work in medium and large organizations. Why would someone in your position become a creator of content? What would be the benefit? What would you create? Jeff has some wonderful advice around exactly those questions. And of course, I ask him that one big, glaring, obvious question. If we all become publishers, who's reading? If we all become creators, who's watching or listening? And Jeff's response to that question is pretty interesting too. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the very switched on and lively Jeff Herman. Jeff Herman, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Hi,
1: David. Great to be here
0: today. It's really great to have you, Jeff. Someone with your experience and in the world that you work in, that I can't think of too many more things that are relevant for us and our listeners and everyone who's trying to do business in 2016. Jeff, you've been in the marketing game for 20 years. And from what I can understand, you've basically made it your mission to help organizations to adjust and thrive in what you call the age of content marketing.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, it's beautiful. Something that supersedes and gives all of us a great transformational opportunity, given the world we live in today, anyone with passion, commitment, and an iPhone 6 plus can build a global audience. That, and I actually have to, typically I throw in anyone with passion, commitment, and a unique point of view can build a global audience. But but you get my point. I have, I have a story around some YouTubers that... that uh, I've met over time to kind of illustrate that. Oh, please tell. Yeah. So this, you know, this is how I often when I'm presenting workshops and working with groups of people, I spin up the conversation, try to get them in the mix by saying, who's your favorite YouTuber? And I get a wide variety of uh, feedback. And you'll know that the younger demographics tend to really embrace and love their YouTube stars. And there's one in particular that I often turn to because I have two boys, seven and ten. And they love minecraft and so there's a guy named dan tdm from his bedroom in the uk has built a global audience playing minecraft this guy has 10 million subscribers and billions of views simply by just crushing it on minecraft day after day after day and and uploading the video and he's so much passion such a unique perspective and And he's, if a guy from his bedroom in the UK can build a global audience, anyone can. It it is just amazing to imagine that, that someone, as you say,
0: from their bedroom, just through their passion, probably with not even audio gear that you and I have, has built an audience that you and I can only dream of doing. And it feels like we hear those type of stories, those, those anecdotes that are very powerful and they bring emotion out in all of us because we all want a bit of that. And then you look around the world and it seems like every second or third person you know is trying to replicate that in some type of way.
1: Yeah. And that's where, and this, you know, we don't need subscriber, 10 million subscribers and billions of views. You know, I've personally made very meaningful impact on the people I love to work with and that I thrive with and the definition of our ideal client profile, just by having hundreds of views and a small degree of engagement because you'll it's amazing how once again if you're passionate and you're just illustrating your your knowledge and expertise in a very helpful way that you'll find people that resonates and they almost pre-qualify you and and the the ability to kind of you know accelerate your relationships because the, the people consuming your content feel like they know you a little bit already. So you can jump right in. And they're kind of extending off of that because you've taken that time to share your knowledge and expertise.
0: We'll talk a lot more about that later, but I just want to share one, one silly thought I, I often have to myself and I've never verbalized it before, but often I look at my MacBook Pro. I essentially just have a MacBook Pro sitting here. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking through right now. And I've got a, a big screen. So I've got two screens and I'm, I sometimes look at that thing and I think, God, I have be- what I have developed through you. You know, this this series of podcasts, all these connections through the world, everything else that I have built under the Team Guru brand – programs, you name it, is has all just been done through this one little tiny, very humble looking device. It's <laughs> right. it's it's an amazing age that we we live in. I mean, uh, I know we take it for granted because it's everywhere. It's a it's a bit like the magic of childbirth, isn't it? You, we take childbirth for granted. It's such a magical process <laughs> because it's happened so many billions of times, you know, we were all born right. so it's not that magic. At right. the moment, we all live with these amazingly powerful devices that can do enormous things that in some ways we do take it for granted. But every now and then I look at my humble MacBook Pro and I think, my goodness, look at what you have done, machine. And now I wonder, if what, what sort of a challenge would it be? And I, I bet someone's done it. If I could take my iPhone 6 and create a business, do you reckon I could do that from scratch, begin an empire through nothing but using my iPhone? I reckon I could.
1: Yes. You and in fact, you're that's a great question and a great point. I've personally tested a month on mobile only. Right. And all my content production, all my video, mobile only. And and I can do it. I can literally go, I have a MacBook Air. It's phenomenal. When I switched from PC to Mac, I mean the world opened up of of you know phenomenal opportunities. And I, you know, I I'm um I learned editing to some extent and I'm kind of uh, you know, grew up loving Sesame Street as a child. And I always wanted to work with Big Bird and Ernie. That was my dream to be a television producer. And I got into technology sales years later, who knows how that happened. But uh, I've tested all of the, just basically using the mobile device. And in my case, the iPhone six plus as you know, it's literally in your hand, it's a content production distribution and promotional strategy in your hand. Like you have a studio in your hand right there. It is remarkable. Let's talk about content marketing, the
0: age of content marketing. Explain that to me. I I, I get the gist of it, but just someone from your knowledge base and the fact that you deal with this so deeply in your career, tell me exactly what that is.
1: It's literally just having a commitment to becoming a teacher and a resource for your audience. That's all it is. It's on a consistent basis, releasing helpful, problem solving, and even entertaining content to engage your audience towards a commercial outcome. And that's the the definition of the Content Marketing Institute. And my my friend, Joe Pulizzi, who I'm, you know, proximately very close to, it's that process of sharing. And I tell you, do you know who's behind this? Like how all this got spun up in the first place? Oh, I don't know. Well, so the, the company that is responsible for such great enablement through YouTube has also destroyed the sales profession. It's Google. Oh, right. Tell me <laughs> yeah. about that. Put, yeah, yeah, put, yeah. Put the days of asymmetrical information are gone. And, and that, you know, that's so... Go ahead, David. I'm sorry. No, no. Put, put that web together. Explain that to me in detail
0: as if I am the stupid person
1: that I am. No, no, no. Listen, the days of asymmetrical information are gone, right? So Google has destroyed the sales profession because historically speaking, you you know, sales and marketing professionals traded on the fact that they had all the... held all the cards, they held all the information really led with product features and benefits and Google flipped it because Google, and this is in the words of my friend, Marcus Sheridan, Google's a place to find answers to questions and Google is, is effectively a question answering machine. And so now consumers have been empowered and have access to volumes of information. And so now, you know, that's put marketing team in the driver's seat because marketing can teach when customers are learning the sales profession effectively might be marginalized, right? Because, is will content replace the sales profession? Will this self-service model on which people can find out what they want when they want it through Google and marketers optimizing these, you know, trigger-based email programs, will that destroy the sales profession? And, And my answer is yes, if you're a transactional person, but absolutely not. If you are adding value and you're a teacher and a curator and you're really concerned with helping your clients solve their problems. So the modern day death of a
0: salesman, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. It sounds very much like the story about, of journalism. We hear about the death of journalism and I, I don't know about there in the US, but you know, in Australia, story after story about big cuts at the major news agencies, journalists just getting hacked away. And you think, oh, that's sad. You know, fewer journalists, less good reporting, less time to, to investigate and do thorough research. But actually, it's just a new world. And we're getting information from so many different places. The reason that the old newspaper empires are having to let people go is because there's so much competition out there. People are journalists now for free in the same mm-hmm. way as Google is doing the work of a salesman for free. People can go and find out their information, find where to buy stuff. People are being journalists for free. They're tweeting information, they're writing blogs. So It's sad if you saw your career for the next 20 years as a journalist in an office at a typewriter doing what journalists have always done, but really in the big picture for all of us, it's actually a really good thing because there's so many more options and And we're just getting so much more information that's live and real and unfiltered from real people who are standing there watching it. Right. I I would
1: kill to be a talented journalist. (laughs) I wish. In fact, I, you know, in my passion for just kind of sharing my perspective, I tried blogging for years and it's just so frustrating and the typos and the sentence structure. And my wife is a wonderful writer and she would make changes and dress up some copy up in two minutes, which took me hours to do. So I put my mug on video because I thought, well, I might as well just you know, leverage my strengths as a communicator and just dance around on video and, and use that platform. And it's funny, my content production, my output has increased 5X and my engagement has increased significantly because the written word just didn't fly for me. I heard crickets when I was writing, but when I took hard to video and audio platforms, Things are kind of popping up. Well, you're playing to your strengths there, aren't you? Obviously, you know, it's if if you're right.
0: not you're not a great blogger, but you're fantastic at talking, then then that's what you should do. Tell me about in this new age, this brave new world. Who are some of the most successful producers of content? Stuff that doesn't cost them anything to make, except their intellect. Stuff that doesn't cost them anything to get out into the world because they just press send and tweet it and put it on Facebook. Who are the people who are a having the greatest impact, B making the most money, and C creating whole new directions for whatever field they're working in. Who who are the big names?
1: Right. And it's interesting so there's one keyword that separates them all and you can sort the good from the bad, and authenticity really matters. So, anyone so in generally speaking, anyone with a degree of that's perfectly authentic, that's passionate about helping and solving problems will be successful. And it's to two people or to two million people, authenticity really matters. And I I saw, I was at a Marketo conference last week and Will Smith was the keynote speaker. And he basically said, the days of cheating are over, all this technology has exposed us and authenticity really matters. So we really have no choice. Now, those that have become wildly successful that are truly authentic and truly passionate about solving problems, I have a couple ranges. Some are extremely popular people, which we probably both know. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, are you familiar with his work? I am not. Oh, Gary V, massively successful, just released his third or fourth book by Gary Vaynerchuk. He grew up on YouTube as a YouTuber with Wine Library TV and took a business from $3 million to $60 million by putting out YouTube videos about wine. He's built his own digital agency up to, I think he's $100 million in revenue in five years with 600 some people. So- He's wildly successful and he's gritty. He's real. He curses. He's from New Jersey, but he's really, he's highly authentic and crass to the point of cutting off Seth, you know, um, Seth Godin. Oh, you yeah. Familiar with him, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah. They had an interview session and Gary was just hammering him I'm like, uh, dude, that's Seth Godin. Like, chill. That's Seth Godin. Relax. So respect. <laughs> right, right, right. So he's a great example. Easy to find on YouTube, but the Ask Gary V. Show. Another great guy is a guy named Johnny Naster. He's a Canadian, and he has a podcast called Hack the Entrepreneur, and it's a super cool podcast because that guy is really passionate. He's a former punk rocker. He's really into his craft. He's part of what's called the Rainmaker Digital Network, and they have a series of content marketing and marketing and technology podcasts, but that's another guy that's killing it because he, he does really authentically care about his audience.
0: So there's there's a lot of big success stories. And I, I think that the two most obvious that maybe, maybe they're only obvious because they're in my world uh, are people like Tim Ferriss. And is it mm-hmm. a Johnny Lee Dumas? Is he the um, the entrepreneur on fire
1: guy? Yeah. So John Lee Dumas, he's a great guy. I've, I've had a chance to meet him in person once. Re- great guy, really passionate. He also cares deeply. He's definitely playing on that, right? So he's monetizing. He's really good oh, at yeah. monetizing and hammering that audience. And Tim Ferriss, I think, is just such a, I love Tim Ferriss as well, and I listen to his podcast religiously. He's definitely monetizing as well, but he has that kind of crafty air about him where it's not as explicit. So, <laughs> well, just like a good guy. Tim Ferriss
0: will tell you that he's a stoic, philosophically, right. and maybe he is, or maybe he, as you say, is just being really crafty about it and much more subtle than, say, Johnny Lee Dumas. For those of you who right. don't know, Johnny Lee Dumas does a and a podcast called Entrepreneur on Fire. It's not actually my cup of tea. It's a bit Blair. It's it's a bit energetic, but uh, it's wildly popular. You know, perhaps the most popular podcast in the world. And Johnny has taken the art that we're discussing today and made it really transparent to the point where he has a little ticker, I think, on his website that shows you how much money he's made this month from Rain. from monetizing his podcast and from selling webinars about making podcasts and everything else to do with that and and he's a guy much like old mate that you were discussing earlier in the UK who has created a YouTube channel on Minecraft Johnny Lee Dumas quite literally has created a podcast from his lounge room with a 90 dollar microphone and a MacBook mm-hmm. and now of course is you know wildly successful you know, financially, but very, very well known in the space that we're talking about. So there are some success stories. Now, I'm going to jump ahead to that question that I told you before we started recording that, you know, that I wasn't going to tell you about. Mm-hmm. When I hear people like you say publish or perish, I get that. I get that for my website to rate highly, I have to continually update information. I have to get that for people to think of me, when they want to think about, you know, team or leadership development, because that's my space or internal communications, because that's my space. I need to be continually out there. So people are are reminded of David Frizzell. I understand that, but in this age of content marketing and this publish or perish era, my basic question is if we're all publishing, who's listening? Or if we're all all publishing, who's reading?
1: Yeah, that, that's such a great question, and, and you're right. There, there's a notion called content shock, where if we're literally all throat putting it out, putting it out, well, who's taking it in? Yeah, and, and that's a great question. And what's amazing is while we, you know, I certainly share your perspective. I think everybody I know is blogging and doing podcasts mm. and videos. So listen to this. Here's a quick aside. At the conference I was at last two weeks ago, actually. 6,000 attendees. So my method to break the ice. So I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm, my focus is a new business and building new relationships. So instead of walking up to everyone at the conference with my business card saying, hi, I'm Jeff. How are you? Nice to meet you. How do you, you know, how are you enjoying things so far and hamming it up and being cheesy and, you know, really kind of struggling to dig into some type of conversation. I built a survey research book and I said, and I have three simple questions which i copied on like 20 some odd pages and everyone i went up to called. hi my name is jeff i have a podcast i'm collecting data for this podcast could you answer three simple questions Mm -hmm. and every person said yes yeah everybody said yes and one of my three questions was how are you building your audience are you blogging are you doing videos are you podcasting i would say 85 percent of the people i hit and i hit couple dozen people and, I, and this is not you know high quality survey sampling this yeah. is you know a little bit better than a focus group it's vox pop uh, yeah right right they said who wants to hear from it? i'm not putting anything out so there's a large majority of the population that will still be consumers right. and not and they, even though as simple tweet is content marketing like you're expressing yourself you're yeah. literally taking a minute to share with yeah. the world what you think but People don't think that's what they're doing. So I would still say our community, we have a good road ahead of us. And once again, authenticity matters. And the good thing about social media is that the good stuff gets voted up effectively and the the subpar stuff gets kind of suppressed and goes off to the side. So I'm prepared for that world because it only makes us sharper and just makes us, and this is the other key, niche down more. So I've recently niched down a little bit more to make sure that I'd rather resonate with a handful of people yeah. in a big way than have this massive, you know, global audience like Dan TDM does.
0: Like that concept of a 1000 true fans. Right. So it's interesting to hear that 85% of those people said that, that you know who wants to hear from me because it feels like in, you know, in my world and the people I mix with, maybe this is just me, that, that everyone's willing to blog and everyone's willing to, to create something. So I'm, I'm interested to hear that and actually quite heartened to hear that because of my earlier question, if we're all publishing, who's listening? But who is it important for? Who are the people, what kind of industries, what kind of roles, what kind of entrepreneurs are people who need to be creating content regularly?
1: I hate to make a crass generalization, but everybody... <laughs> Everyone from my father-in-law who sells nuts and bolts, literally sells nuts and bolts, industrial supplies, like the most boring commodity fasteners, things to hold things together, he needs to illustrate his knowledge and expertise as far as problem solving because he can help fix machines and get, get you know factories back online, all the way to consultants, of course, they train on their ideas and their time. So every business be it a retail, B2C, B2B, if they're creating value, they're building relationships and they're just getting more meaningful and deeper engagement with the people they'd like to serve. And so it, it, this is this is almost a universal rule where the days of advertising, where you would pay to access your audience. So the media publisher holds that control yeah. and you pay to get to that audience. Where now, we're all publishers. We all have to think like publishers. And to the extent we talk about things related to our product or service, not about our products and service. We're just trying to build relationships and get that little, you know, germinate the seeds of a relationship through content. And then from that standpoint, you hopefully move it into a more traditional, you know, relationship in which you're engaging in one-on-one dialogue. But it's, I would say there's, I can't think of a single industry where content marketing is not valuable. So what then, I know I've already asked you that, help me understand what
0: the scale of different content, because I'm guessing you're not suggesting to your father-in-law to put out a weekly podcast about nuts and bolts like I do. So we would be creating different kinds of content. So so give me an idea of, of the kind of content a nuts and bolts salesman would be putting out.
1: Right. That's a great question. He needs three to five videos to park on the website, just enough to give people a flavor for his Differentiated level of high service, right? And so, just enough to build that relationship and drive, you know, give people a sense of the personality or the the depth or the passion that he has for the business. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely not in a million years that I suggest he blog or or shoot. But but I've literally I'm going to follow him around with a little my camera and just get him and upload him to the to the site and then put him on YouTube and just give people that. And even if he can't be discovered, if he doesn't have his SEO optimized it's a tool that you kind of push in front of people to say, Hey, you know, nice to meet you. And if you want to check out more of my work or some customer testimonials here, go visit this section of my website. Yeah.
0: Okay. I get it. So there's a, there's content and there's content and there's, there's a huge range within there. And later in the show, as, as you know, I've already pre-warned you about that question. I'm going to ask you to give some advice that all of my listeners can take on board, given that my listeners come from, you know, sole traders to small business owners to people who are in huge corporations so so you're going to get to some principles that everyone can sink their teeth into later. but before we get there I want to talk about this that, that I find really interesting. I can only imagine from your point of view in the marketing era that you've worked in 20 years you've been marketing and you have mm-hmm. seen like the rest of us probably it's got to be in the top three biggest changes ever happened to human beings the digital yeah. age. How has that affected your industry? I mean, I know that's a that's a question that you could write volumes on, but just in a nutshell, from your viewpoint,
1: how has the internet changed everything that you do? It's something I can't even, words can't describe it, but the ability to scale relationships and scale revenue in a meaningful way is fantastic. And this is where, so at our digital agency, I'm, I'm 46. I'm being super transparent here. Everyone I work with is in their twenties. So I'm the old guy, right? I'm Even though I'm the one snapping it up and trying to be cool. My career started after graduating from the Ohio State University. So your your US fans will get that. Have you heard of that the Ohio State University? I, I only see that because I watch a bit of NFL and you know when the yeah. players say
0: where they're from, where, yeah, you know, yeah. Which university they went to? The people who are from the Ohio University, they always really emphasize the "the." Well, why is that?
1: I have no idea. But it's the capital T H E Ohio State University. Yeah, I, it's been like that for a long time. <laughs> I've, I've,
0: I've actually always wondered that. So you know, yeah.
1: you haven't answered the question, but you do it as well. That's, that's what I've learned. Right. So I started my career with the Yellow Pages. Remember the big phone book, yeah. the Yellow Pages. Yeah. Uh, driving around Columbus, Ohio, selling AM radio sponsorships. Yeah, And I tell these, you know, all my colleagues that are used to instant access to everything they want, that in the old days of sales and marketing, we would look at ad copy and sizes and determine levels of investment. And I'd walk into the store with the yellow pages and say, you know, you need to be on radio to really convey your your business in a more meaningful and engaging way. So it's this goes back to, Companies relied on publishers and media companies to connect them to their audience. And the advertising is still critical. I'm a big believer in advertising, especially as it relates to activating great content. But you know, once again, everyone has access to a global audience if you just you know take the time. And this, this gets into mission statement creation. So we've talked about content marketing. But the first thing I suggest for anybody, content marketing mission statement. Who's the target? What's delivered? And the outcome for the audience? And if you have that strategy nailed down, just real simple, that really focuses your effort and really helps you tell great stories.
0: I remember as a kid, one of the ads on TV that just seemed to run for a decade was this concept of the person, the junior guy at the office whose job it was to put the ad in the yellow pages that year had forgotten to do it and (laughs) how it was catastrophic for the organization. I mean, we are literally going to get no business this year. When you think about that, and, and, and it was obviously a play up on the, you know, it was hyperbole, but probably not that far from the truth. No, now you can imagine just how different things are. So when you think about the beginning of your career and, and organizations who were doing well, they were big companies, they were doing sales and marketing the right way, who didn't adjust? And in what ways didn't they adjust? What were the mistakes as as marketing moved online and consumers started asking questions online and then eventually actually making purchases online. Who are the organizations you can think of who just didn't make the transition?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, David. And in many cases, I've seen heavy sales organizations. So organizations that are very sales and commercially focused still have not made the transition. And, And that spans many B2B industries, like maybe possibly the manufacturing industry who so they've been creating components and parts and machines and people would buy that tangible substance. They would buy that tangible item, that widget, if you will. And if they've had a heavy sales organization, they relied on frontline sales and they're very metrics driven. And so in many cases, the ROI on cold calling and email and phone cold calling is very well known that activity based measurement is very well known. Dashboards have been built in Salesforce.com for years and sales teams are incentivized for volume and activity. And those organizations that are volumetrically based and activity based, once again, using traditional methods like phone and email harassment, I I call it, that haven't embraced social selling, which is just building relationships online and making more deep and meaningful connections. They're being left behind because it's so hard to break through with, with email and phone. And I've... Part of my podcast is literally I highlight prospectors that have actually done an effective job at breaking through because I actually keep all the cold prospecting emails I get. I put them in a folder and then I send them my newsletter and coach them up.
0: <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, that, that's tough. If you're relying on heavy sales tactics and you're, I understand the inertia around compensation models and activity-based models, but you know, lower volume, higher conversion rate is what I push for every single day. And do you find that some people
0: have th- think they've made the transition because they're no longer doing cold calls? All they're doing instead now is cold emailing and cold LinkedIn messaging and cold tweeting. Have they just transferred those old ways into new technologies?
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that's a big problem. And that's where... So the social selling movement, primarily sponsored by LinkedIn because LinkedIn wants to sell more of their sales navigator package, the social selling movement... They're really encouraging everyone to observe and participate. So I build a social selling maturity curve to say, observing social media data is great and collecting that data and using it to your advantage is great. Participating, liking, sharing, commenting is fine. Tweeting's fine. Once again, that's still transactional. That's still volumetric to really move up the maturity curve. There's a curator status and the ultimate is creator status. You can really differentiate yourself if you're curating news and information and sharing relevant industry items and topics and trends. And then to the extent that you can take that core information, that base information, and then release and reveal your own opinion about it and your own applications of it and become a creator of content, that's truly what differentiates winning sales organizations and marketing organizations from kind of the ones that literally have taken those old tactics and just pushed them into social. Because it's still very spammy. And and as we said with Will Smith, when he was getting jiggy with it on stage, you know, it's everything's so transparent that you spot those spammy people in two seconds, you shut them down.
0: So at the risk of looping back to the power of creating great content, my question is, then how do I create a useful, genuine, authentic relationship online with someone who I want to turn into a business relationship? without it being spammy and just essentially transferring 1980s cold calling techniques to Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, David. The It takes patience, and that's the big, big change is for anyone that's creating content, it could take 6 to 12 to 18 months sometimes to get any activity and any feedback loop. And so once again, if you're authentically interested in sharing information. So just the simple act of curating and sharing an article and giving your two or three sentence summary of why you feel someone should read it. And even if they don't have time to read the article, they'll at least read your summary and get the essence. You know, that patience pays off over time. And and so I've heard crickets for such a long time. And then you start to get those little teeny tiny glimmers of interest Hmm. in pockets. And I'm at the point now where I get calls to say, can I have that workshop you talked about? Yeah. Which one? <laughs> the yeah. one you did in that one video. And I don't have to sell. They just, they're buying something I shared 10 videos ago or 10 podcasts ago. And because I'm, I'm just laying it down. And so that patience pays off because, you know, once again, if, if you're passionate about what you do and, you, and you're and you excited to share it with people, you can transfer that excitement onto these platforms and and really just build great relationships with people.
0: So is that the gold standard, the new standard of entrepreneur, someone who doesn't sell, who doesn't hit you up with cold messages on, on any social media platform, someone who just creates such great content, whether it's blogs or tweets or whatever, the you know videos, whatever it is, that it makes people want to engage with them. It draws in the audience. They're, they're essentially not selling. They're just performing and people want to buy.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And Look, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of selling as well, but I think that the interesting opportunity today is knowing when to teach and when to sell. And this is where technology is our friend, because if you have say marketing automation platforms in which you can really look at who's engaging, who's opening emails, who's clicking on certain articles, who's going to the website, you can do these tests. And I often run these parallel tests to say, here's one email, here's kind of industry trends, high level early buyer's journey content, and then I'll stick kind of a later stage piece of content around maybe specifications or even acknowledge some degree of pricing. Whichever one they click on, I'm teasing out their interest. So I'm putting them in, the, oh, they're early stage. I'm gonna put them over here and keep them warm. Oh, they're late stage. Let's go, baby, let's start pitching. <laughs> so you selling absolutely is really critical and closing skills still very valuable. But the point is you can just, from a respect standpoint, Approach every person you talk with in a very relevant way because you kind of understand where they're at mentally and use that information to your advantage. And once again, like the dating analogy, right? You don't show up to coffee for the first time buck naked. You know, you, uh, you, you want to <laughs> go in into it. kind of slow. Whether it's a half-day Energizer session or a comprehensive team
0: and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. We're talking to Jeff Herman about marketing in the modern day. And Jeff, what you were talking about just before, that that idea of if you're trying to not be the, the guy who turns up to the first date buck naked, if you're trying to be the type of entrepreneur or professional who builds authentic relationships, it's actually a really good time to be someone sitting in a job, in an organization that may not be your dream to begin your dream slowly, because it actually takes patience to build these type of authentic relationships, to build the type of content and the type of products that people want to engage with. That you don't need to sell; people want to buy. So, for those that percentage of people, and I'm assuming it's a high percentage of people who are working in in other or large organisations or working for someone else, who have this dream of I really would prefer to be doing this, but can't quit my job. I've got the mortgage to pay. Everything you just talked about, needing to build those authentic relationships that having to show patience to do so, sort of suggests to me that there's been no better time to make a transition from what you don't like doing or what doesn't
1: really scratch your itch to your passion. Absolutely. That's such a great point. That's a great observation. And what's interesting, scratching that itch and just feeling compelled to share or to dig into a subject matter that you're passionate about. Sometimes that alone, having that outlet is enough to basically scratch the itch, right? And and some people happen into really great businesses because they're literally just sharing their passion. And the next thing you know, more people want it, more people want it. And then boom, there you go. So I love that. I love that observation that patience is required And you can just roll into it in a really, you know, methodical and disciplined way. And the next thing you know, you're laying that such a strong foundation that when you do launch, you're launched with an audience. And if you have a relationship, and, and I heard it, you know, speaking of Gary Vaynerchuk again, a cool keynote he gave at an Icon conference. And basically, all these social platforms that come and go and come and go, your brand transcends All these platforms and so if you build that engaging brand and you have those direct relationships you know you can move them on and off of different platforms over time as far as your true loyal fans and that's what really matters so just really you know no posing no trying to monetize things just because you think there's money there it really is once again around your authentic you know passion areas
0: and the story you told earlier again about the minecraft guy in the uk it kind of proves that no matter what your passion is, today in 2016, there's probably an audience for it. And our, our <laughs> ability to connect, to state the bleating obvious is like it's never been before. So even if you're in this 0.01% of people who who share a passion, across the globe, that 0.01% of people is a is a huge
1: number of people. And if you can offer them something that's worthwhile, then you have an audience. Absolutely. And the satisfaction that comes from that. So these connections that can be facilitated, and then the joy you can have in actually making relationships with people in Australia or you know the Philippines or in you know even in I've for some reason I seem to resonate in India. I have oh really (laughs) a lot of my audiences from India and, and guys that I've met in business school that have moved back and I think their friends have all you know kind of shared. So it's kind of interesting.
0: (laughs) <laughs> that's that's cool. It's, it's great, isn't it? When you because you, I'm about to talk about your podcast. When those of us who run podcasts, we get to see where people listen to us. And of course, mo, you know, at last count, around seventy percent of my listeners were from Australia, and my next biggest group is obviously from the UK. But you know, there, there's some other countries that pop up. That sometimes I just wonder, you know, wh- why are you listening to me? It's nice that you are. And it's and hello mm-hmm. to you who are there. And I'm assuming in a lot of cases it's expats, expat British, Australian, or Americans who are, who are living in in some of
1: these really unique parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. So, I, I should I haven't checked my geographic distribution, but I should. So yeah, anyway.
0: check it out. It it always makes for fascinating reading. And and I, I like to look at it compared to who I have on the show to see you know who I've got on that week or or that fortnight. It used to be it's weekly now. And who listens to it? You know, depending on who the guest is, it's it's fascinating looking. But actually, I haven't looked for a while either. I probably should do that. So you you have your own podcast, Jeff, and I've got to say I I love the name of it, Scale Your Charisma. I, I want to know all about that in a second. But you just before we started recording, you admitted to me that you just changed the name of it. And mm-hmm. tell us what the old name was why you changed it and how on earth a marketing guy could have made such a terrible mistake in the first place <laughs>
1: that's a great point so the the old name was called publisher parish fm social selling in the age of content marketing <laughs> right. so i was going keyword heavy publisher parish is a well-known term from the academic world and i threw an fm a dot fm as in frequency modulation you know the radio spectrum. And I thought Publisher Parish FM, that's kind of catchy. And then I threw the social selling in the age of content marketing just to get iTunes optimization. Uh, so, right. but one of the things I talk about is transforming from sales leader to thought leader and scaling charisma and leverage your knowledge and expertise and leverage your strengths and just use video and audio platforms. And I kept saying, scale your charisma. And everyone was like, oh, cool. So I just took that and just said, you know, I'm going to change that name at the podcast. And, and, uh, And that's truly because it's interesting. I'm about to launch a second podcast focused on marketing transformation. So a more proper corporate, I'd say kind of mid-market and enterprise-driven podcast for CMOs that's around transforming your brand with marketing technology. And this podcast, Scale Your Charisma, is really more for personal development. It's just my personal passion project because I love helping people express themselves. And this goes back to the producer mindset you know if i could be scooter remember scooter from the muppet show
0: no
1: you would run around and follow kermit with a clipboard so okay the muppet show which is part of sesame street which you know big bird and ernie and bird of course of course okay okay so you know that notion of just producing content and helping people discover and find content i uh so that's where you know this scale your charisma is my passion project because i i feel like everyone should have an opportunity to express themselves
0: and is, is that scaling your charisma linked to all this, this content creation that we've been talking about, finding that true you, the, the thing that you're truly passionate about and, and doing it in the way that, that truly suits your skill set the best? As when you were talking earlier that you tried to do the blogging and it didn't, didn't work out for you, but when you started talking, it did work out. Is that, are they the core kind of principles of this concept
1: of scale your charisma? Absolutely. In fact, my podcast is for people that don't like writing. Right. Okay. <laughs> My podcast is for people that would rather put on a microphone or flip their iPhone camera around and, and do a selfie shot. And the, the fact that the thought of writing, oh, it's just so tedious. So that's who I'm, I'm aimed for non-writers. We so right. tend to be salespeople. So. Oh, is that true? Yeah. You know, salespeople, once again, I've had this debate for years at various conferences, should salespeople blog? And I get a resounding, no, they should sell. They should be with clients. They should be pitching. And so it's true. They should be selling. So what better way to kind of you know, scale your personal perspective or to scale your knowledge and expertise through just by codifying it on video and then putting it out there for distribution and, and something even really simple, but hanging a video on your LinkedIn profile Takes you out of that superficial range of just "yo, here's just another sales or marketing guy," into someone that's like, "Okay, this person put a little content and took the time to kind of illustrate who they are and give us a little insight into their into their personality." Yeah, that's good. So, the simplest, once again, a couple of videos make all the difference in the world.
0: You're a fan of videos. I've picked that up a few times. You like you like yeah. the visual thing, huh? Right, love it, love it. So. I told you earlier about that ultimate gift for my listeners that I want you to be able to give them is that those principles about creating content. But before we get to the, the broad range of listeners, I want to talk about those people. And I, I'm, I'm guessing that they're probably the majority of people who listen to any podcast, people who do not work for themselves. They're not entrepreneurs. They work for a medium size or a huge organization. They're one person in one team and one department. How can they create a greater profile for themselves in their own in their own role. Is there scale or opportunity for them to use all the concepts that you're talking about, not to create their own business that might not be their thing, but to to make that next step within the organization to get the promotion that they're looking for, or the recognition that they're looking for, or the different type of work
1: within the team that they're looking for? How can they use these principles? Yeah, that, that's a great question, and that's the beauty of social media. And having a tool like LinkedIn, which gives you not only the, LinkedIn for years has been cast as this glorified online resume. It's not. There's a beautiful summary section, which allows you to personally express yourself and and really share who you are and what your unique point of view is. There are slide share and video integration opportunities. Even if you do care to write, or even if you want to embed a video, but a pulse post, so Publishing a pulse post, which is basically LinkedIn's long-form content platform, you can publish your own blog, if you will, on pulse and embed a video and just, you know, maybe transcribe and add a couple paragraphs of text just to kind of round it out. That's a way which any person that wants to log into LinkedIn can build a deeper profile of themselves. Or things like Facebook or even YouTube, the opportunity is there to structure your persona in a way to set yourself up for success and to take it to the furthest extent, you know, why not buy your own .com and use one of those WYSIWYG website builders, you know, to just kind of spin up your own personal blog. So it, it's, that's what's once again, it's beautiful. We all have these platforms that have been set up based upon your target audience to just really reveal a profile beyond superficial data. So if I'm in a big organization and I don't intend to leave,
0: I want to grow within that organization, even just growing my presence on my own LinkedIn profile because I know that my colleagues, even maybe the guy in the cubicle next door, is is looking at my LinkedIn profile from time to time as it as it mm-hmm. flows through the stream. So you think using LinkedIn, so going external and building my profile, adding great content, contributing authentically and intelligently to content that already exists there is a nice, smart way to grow my profile and my prospects within an organization.
1: Yeah, I would strongly advocate for that within an organization and even the act of curating. So if you, a weekly email newsletter for your internal team. So the fact that information, there's so much heavy volume of information flowing these days. So why not take two or three articles you found helpful over the past week and do a quick little internal newsletter and and just... You know, the trick is, is whatever you do, if you want to build your internal brand, do it with a high degree of consistency. So if every Friday at 10 a.m., you release the weekly roundup, do it over time. And the goal is to have them miss you if you're gone. Right. Right. So people that setting that behavioral expectation and just literally like clockwork, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock every Friday you'll find that even after like four or five weeks, people say, hey, where's my update? Where's my roundup? And that's kind of fun. And I've seen that work. And I used to do it personally where internal, I was at a large corporation with 40,000 people. And I would curate the news, you know, that was relevant to my team and really just, you know, feathered it in on a consistent basis. And you, you know, build that relationship. So, and you have Dropbox or Box.com, which are, you know, with big storage platforms. They host video, they host audio that's internally embedded. So leading into those maybe releases, if someone had a stigma that maybe dressing up LinkedIn would make it look like they were looking, so maybe they don't want to throw that signal off, we'll just publish media and put it up on Dropbox.
0: Hey, you know what? I really love that example you gave of someone just curating the top three helpful articles for the week. Imagine the kind of impact that would have for someone who is who is not the boss. They're not the leader of the team. They're uh, that perhaps a doer or a manager or a middle manager, and they start doing that for people who are at a higher level or more broadly in the organization. What a what a great sign that is for them within the organization. It's such a leader thing to do. It's it's mm-hmm. it's so positive and helpful and can only help their reputation as a, a truly engaged person. I know that was just an example, curating the, the top three articles, but a really great one. And I think the theme of doing something active like that is, is so powerful. That's, uh, that's the best bit of advice that's come out of this yet because everything we've been talking about so far, creating content, I know serves so well the listeners who are like you and I. I. I hate calling myself an entrepreneur, but I guess that's what I am, creating my own business and doing my own thing and creating content. All that stuff makes sense for those people. I wanted something that people in big organizations could take away and, and make useful and help their own career. Cause some people want to be in a big organization. Sure. And you just, you just gave them that. And that, that was great. That was a little piece of gold there, Jeff. Thank you for that. All right. Now, what about you? Where are you headed, mate? I know what you do. I know you, you're working at the moment for fathom delivers, which provides a, a huge range of services. You do your own podcast. You've got your own YouTube channel, where to next where do if i talk to you in 5 years time which i'd love to where will you be
1: well virtually speaking we will be able to talk because i'm bullish on virtual reality and facebook had their developers conference a couple of weeks ago and they have three big drivers you know live video which i'm of course very bullish on live video virtual reality and then you know their messaging platforms but think about this we talked about the challenges to the sales organization before the notion of bots and literally Slack bots or chat bots. But I believe that sales bots will pre-qualify prospect buyers with artificial intelligence. And you can have this, you know, kind of bot driven Q&A with potential buyers and inbound leads. So where salespeople are only touching like super late stage very qualified, ready-to-close opportunities. And so if I make my living in inside sales or if I'm if I'm a marketer or an entrepreneur driving leads, your ability using artificial intelligence, and this is very real, right? It's not space age. It's not Arnold Schwarzenegger going to Mars from Total Recall, which was remade with, uh, remember the remake of Total Recall? I don't even remember the original Total Recall. Ah, Arnold Schwarzenegger,
0: 1995, maybe. Uh, I, I remember that ex- it existed, but I don't think I've ever laid eyes on it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a fun movie. But the ability to qualify and engage with your customers from an artificial intelligence, and it's literally just having a set of questions set up, predetermined, and then based upon responses, you know, those responses and messages and that kind of content is fired, that facilitates people down the buyer's journey. And you you may get to the point where salespeople are only like a live person is only engaged in very, very, very late stages.
0: I get the idea of using bots so early in the sales pipeline, you know, down, way down in the prospecting and proposing kind of stages. And then you use an actual human being to close the deal. I, I understand mm-hmm. that in theory, I guess, but I don't understand how it fits with the conversations we were having earlier about creating Authentic, genuine relationships with people who we decide
1: to do business with because we value each other. Right. Well, and that's the thing. Talk about scale. So, if you have a bot, if you've taken the time to express yourself and really lay down hundreds of responses using logic to program it to question to a standard set of questions, you can literally transfer your personality into artificial intelligence to act on your behalf. And you could effectively, you know. And look, I think this a scam. I'm exposing. I'm, now nah, I'm going too overboard, but I was at Tony Robbins. Have you ever attended a Tony Robbins uh, event? I have not. Uh, insane. I mean, the fact that this guy can command the attention of 10,000 people for three straight days, who are raving lunatic fans, standing on their chairs, screaming, high energy, is amazing, right? I have a lot of respect for that. The fact that he did that, but there are many cases where his vocal tenor changed. And they, you know, several times throughout the course of a day, they bring the lights down, you kind of get into a meditative state, and he's doing voiceover, like, think about a time that you wish you could take back something that you said. And what's interesting, I believe he disappears backstage and relaxes and he has all this pre-roll tape rolling, ah. you know, just kind of leads this kind of hour-long meditation session of pre-recorded, right? right. And this is this is early low-tech artificial intelligence, but Get he's ya. still letting people think he's there. Right. I mean, but what's yep. funny is his voice—he had a cold. At this live event, so his voice changed. I get and then you. all of a sudden the lights came up and he came back out and his voice was di- different again. Yeah, so right. I tried, I was like up on the speakers trying to really listen and to see is that him or is it, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I, I got of. Get going overboard a little bit. I, I know that. you when you described it as a scam,
0: and you stopped yourself because it probably isn't quite a scam. It's it's scale. Yeah. It's it's being smart about a guy being on stage a lot. But what it is is it's a little bit dishonest with his audience who are there in the moment and feeling this power, this mythical power we've all heard about of Tony Robbins. So I I get that. So so you. You're telling me in five years' time, somehow it'll be Jeff Bot that I'm meeting and maybe we can not do this interview over Skype. You could just Zoom yourself over here to Australia and we can do it face-to-face, huh?
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Yes, we will virtually shake hands.
0: Now, Jeff, you're not off the hook yet, mate. I always finish my interviews by asking the same four questions. So we get to know a little bit about the inherent you. We've learned all about the marketing you, the area of expertise that you've brought to us, but let's get to know Jeff a little bit more, and my my listeners are very used to these questions. Tell me about the Saturday night you most look forward to: a big party with lots of people you know, or an intimate dinner with your closest friends.
1: I would say a big party with lots of people I know. All right, nice. Because I'm I'm I don't like to commit. Like sometimes I. Dinner, intimate dinner, there's like too much talking. I kind of like to say my thing and move on. So. Ah, that's I interesting. Like, I get energy from lots of people versus, I guess, my wife. Like, we were at dinner Saturday night. I was just like, ah. Oh, <laughs> so. You needed
0: more people. Okay. Well, you have definitely no. answered my question then. Okay. I, I like that. All right. What about this one? Now, are you more likely to get bogged down in the detail or caught daydreaming?
1: Daydreaming, definitely. Definitely. In fact, I've come to know in my 46 years and appreciate the fact that I'm all about what's next and kind of the big idea. And then I surround myself with people that are great at execution and great at detail. Uh, and, you know, smart, no doubt.
0: That's good, good man. You're clear on what you're good at and, uh, and you surround yourself with people that help you fill those gaps. All right. What about this one? Do you make decisions based on emotion or via a rational thought process?
1: I'd like to think it's very rational. Um, and I have a commitment to being rational and being level headed. So I, I believe my psychology is that of a rationalist and, you know, kind of very economically driven. But I find myself always knowing in my gut that that's the right thing to do. So I, I probably would have to say emotion grounded in the fact that I inherently believe I'm a rational person. <laughs> that,
0: that answers the question to me, mate. As long as you're satisfied with that, I, I, I got my answer out of that. And very uh-huh. last question, you're going on a road trip. Do you book the hotels, plan the route, and know exactly where you're going? Or do you just get in the car and drive?
1: If I'm by myself, I get in the car and drive. If I'm with my family, I definitely hook up the bookings.
0: <laughs> so... It's incredible what children do to your way of planning, isn't
1: it? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Jeff, Leo Herman, thank you so much for coming on the Team Groove Podcast. I have loved talking to you about modern day marketing and sales, where it's all headed, where it's been, and, and what kind of impact it has on businesses like yours and mine and, and people who work in all different types of organizations. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: David, I had a blast. It was really great talking to you today, and I look forward to virtually meeting you in five years' time.
0: <laughs> Good on you, Jeff. Thanks, mate. All right. <laughs> And that was Jeff Leo Herman. I loved chatting about the age of content marketing, the fact that in this brave new world, it's incumbent on just about everyone to become a publisher in some form or another. And I loved scratching the surface of what is a very deep conversation about what makes quality content. Content that will showcase your skills and talent connect you with your audience, and help you build the reputation, the profile, and the life that you dream about. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from this episode. You'll find it on the Team Guru website. That's teams teamswithaness.guru forward slash podcast. Team Guru is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud. And of course, you can find me personally through LinkedIn, or simply by emailing me directly, david at teams.guru. I'll be back next week for another episode on this, my mission to bring the theory of team and leadership development to life. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.